It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Fire magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast. So this is season nine, our celebration of spring in Britain, as we visit 12 different habitats across the country to discover the wild residents and some equally worthy human inhabitants too. In episode 10, angler and naturalist Andrew Griffiths takes us on a delicious late spring safari up a gurgling stream in a peak district vale called William Clough, which lies on the slopes of the highest point of the National Park, Kinder Scout. As he hunts for rare aquatic species and meets some of the wildlife of the moors, Andrew recalls the story of the 1932 mass trespass that took place on Kinder, and which opened the way for access to the wider countryside for many millions of people. It's a fascinating tale and a delightful podcast. And if you like our podcast, please do leave a like and a review on whichever podcast provider you use, or do send me an email at editor at countryfire.com. Hello, it's Andrew Griffiths here, and I'd like to welcome you to another one of my Countryfile podcasts. Now, it's my very great pleasure today to ask you to come with me on one of my favourite walks, I'm just outside Hayfield, which is a beautiful little village at the foot of Kinder. And I'm going to take you up Kinder today by climbing William Clough. Now, if some of you recognise that name, it's because it's forever associated with the mass trespass. Now, I've just passed Bowden Bridge, which is a mile or so outside Hayfield. Now, back in April 1932, 400 or so men met there 
And it was a gesture of frustration, really, because the progress with the right to roam was so slow as they saw it that they decided to take the law into their own hands. And on that day, 24th of April 1932, those men, they went up William Clough and met another group of men who'd come up from Edale. And that has repercussions through to this day. And it's one of those working class movements that's gone down in history. So we have to mention that and we have to remember it, not least, because it led to the, or arguably, it led to the Countryside Rights of Way Act now 2000. And that's largely why I can take you on this walk today. So at the moment I'm just on the preliminary to the walk uh, along the lane that leads up to the reservoir. And it's a beautiful, beautiful summer's day. We've just come out of a really wet, cold and miserable spring. And it's just past the bank holiday weekend when I'm recording this. And it's absolutely beautiful, beautiful weather. There's a bit of a breeze which could prove to be a challenge recording, but challenges are there to be overcome. And I'm just walking at the moment through some lovely woodland. We've got oak and silver birch on one side and then down to a stream on the other. And we're approaching the path to open country. But first, I've got a short but lovely stretch to do along the river. It's lovely and the hot daylight today to come out of the hot sun into the beautiful shade and cool of the river. And this, this river is an absolute chocolate box lid of a river. It just looks like a perfect upland stream. It's full of moss covered boulders. And you can see in the wall that I'm walking alongside now, the dry stone wall, you can see where those water worn boulders have been incorporated into the wall as well to give them a it's like a it's like a wall built of medicine balls in places. It's like it's like the Scottish in places. It's absolutely gorgeous. And if any of you have heard anything I've done before, you'll know that I am a fly fisher. And this is actually the headwaters of my river, which I just spend a lot of time fishing. It's just a couple of miles downstream. So yet another reason it's a special place for me. It's got two of my favourite landscapes, which is rivers and the moors, which is where we're heading. What's not to like? Now whether this is a river or a stream is an interesting question. And one of my favourite definitions of the difference between the two is that if you can jump it, it's a stream. And if you can't, it's a river. So by that metric, I put this at around about two bounds. So this is a, I would call it a river, a two bound river. But where we're heading later on, when we go at William Clough, is most definitely a stream. Now that's not even a bound, it's more than perhaps a step. It's only a couple of feet wide in places. So there you go, we've got a whole new system steps and bounds 
to short out rivers and streams. Let's have another listen to this river because it sounds absolutely beautiful. Have a listen to this. Sounded like a beautiful sparkling little river, sparkling in the sunlight, absolutely gorgeous. Now the fly fishing got me into entomology, which is the insects, because that's what we try and do in fly fishing, is to emulate the insects with a bit of fur and a bit of feather on a hook shank and try and fool the fish into think it's an insect and what they eat naturally. So that got me into entomology and if I'm perfectly honest, I spend as much time on that now as I do fly fishing, probably more, if the truth be known. And I do sample these streams in the, in the area, and something I thought might add a little bit of extra spice to this today, is if we try and find a beautiful mayfly nymph, and it's called the Upland Summer Mayfly. Uh, and I've found it once before in this area, so I thought it might be interesting to try and find it again. It's uh, Amuletus inopinatus, if I've got any Latin speakers out there. And what's interesting about it is that it's a very good indicator of climate change because it lives in cold water at higher altitude. So as the climate is warming, it tends to be retreating. And I think I'm right, don't quote me on this, but I think I'm right in saying that where I am now in the Peak District is probably its southernmost limit. Well, certainly not far off. So I thought it might add a little bit of extra spice if uh, I had a little dabble in William Clough as we get higher up to try to find that. And as I say, I have found it once before and it is the most beautiful little nymph. It moves gorgeous. It's just a very, very slinky little nymph. It's lovely. Leaving the river now. And I'm just going through the gate, which the National Trust is telling me is White Brow. And there's always that tingle of excitement that you feel when you come off the made road and you're onto the unmade path and you're coming out into open country. And I'm now going up this brow, which is a cobbled path. It's about four feet, five feet wide. And the water you could hear is the drainage water coming down off the moor so that shows you how much rain that we've been having lately and it's about as steep as you can get without putting rungs in it and calling it a ladder I'm gaining a bit of height now and I'm standing looking out over Kinder Reservoir it was built in, completed in 1912, and it was a major construction project for the area at the time, and they, they actually built a railway to bring the men in to work on it, and there were 700 men moved into the area. You do wonder, it's not just the reservoir that leaves its mark on the landscape, I wonder how many of those people stayed in the area and settled in the area, and, and, and it's a real landmark, obviously, at the foot of Kinder, and uh, the, the dam wall, big long dram wall that you can hear being mowed drops down and then the it feeds the river that I was walking along before 
which ultimately is a stream that I fish. Uh, and it looks, it's odd really, it looks strangely geometric in what is a rugged and, if anything, rounded landscape. And it looks strangely geometric, it's like a real square peg in a round hole. You just hear that cookie. <laughs> but when you reach this reservoir, you know that you're about to get into open country. And I know that as I walk and take this path now, that she's climbing up and it's along the side of the moor. And I know that once I get round past the next shoulder, it's all gonna open up and I'm gonna see William Clough wending its way up to the top of Kinder. I'm just walking to the head of the reservoir now. And I'm quite low down and close to the water. And there's some Canada geese on the water. And I'm looking across and I can see another inlet into the reservoir which is coming down from Kinder Downfall and down from Mermaid's Pool to the foot of Kinder Downfall and then down into this reservoir but I'm not doing that, I'm going around the shoulder of this moorland and William Clough is just starting to open up now as I round the corner and you can probably hear the lambs in the background and larks singing and pipits the ubiquitous pipits I'm now at the foot of William Clough which is where there is a small wooden footbridge and you can go over that and you can go route one up Kinder which takes you straight up the buttress with Sandy Hayes or you can do as I'm going to do which is follow William Clough as it winds its way up to the top of Kinder and there's a crowd of people here and we've got people feeding the sheep to entertain the children so it's a hot spot for sheep as well for people uh, and somebody just patting one at the moment <laughs> and as I'm sure you can hear I am next to the most beautiful beautiful stream now I'm following the stream up by the metric we created earlier, I would say that this is a step. And I'm now standing astride the stream now. And one of the reasons I absolutely love this cliff and why I come back so often is that it is a river in miniature. I mean, I'm looking now, we've got a riffle sequence of fast water. We've got it going over a stony bed as it drops down. We've got a natural waterfall. That's created a miniature little plunge pool at the bottom of it. And then that's gone into a, a short glide before we start going down again. And it is a big river in miniature. And it has got trout in it. Small trout, just a few inches long. 
but they too behave like big trout in miniature. It is a tiny world, it is a Gulliver's travel world, and that's why I love it so much. So come on, we're gonna go further up now, try and leave some of these people behind. And when I was here earlier in the year, I did sort of see bright red, what I thought at first was a flower on the ground. But when I had a closer look, it's not a flower, it's, it's, actually, a, it's actually a moss, it's hair cap, uh, polytrichum something or other. And the, the red is not a flower as such, but it, it's uh, modified leaves. That, that, but if you get a hand lens on it and you look, it's just the most beautiful construction. Now, if I'm talking to botanists here, this will be old news to you. But if I'm not, I really recommend you get yourself a hand lens. Just a 10 times magnification, not expensive. And I will guarantee to you that they will open up a whole new world. Now, particularly in a landscape like this, whatever does grow has to grow low to the ground. Because as soon as it sticks its head up, it's going to get munched by those sheep. So what I'm looking at now, I'm looking at tormental, I'm looking at haircap, uh, there is soft rush and bracken coming through and wimberries on the side of the clough as it winds up. It's lovely in its own way, but it's got to be honest, there's not a great deal going on. And then bird life, if you see a bird, the chances are it's going to be a pipit. If it's not a pipit, it's a lark. You might see the odd crow and the odd bird of prey. But again, there's not a great deal going on. And that's because the biodiversity just isn't there. And in some ways, I shouldn't like it. But the trouble is, I do. Thistles too can make a good stab of surviving up here because it needs to be the low well protected and the thistle's got it all. Oh, there's a little violet there. It's nearly too mental. So there is stuff going on. Oh, there's a tiger beetle. It's just in the hot sun some energy because it's all warmed up and it's gone over the flat stone near the river. It's probably a nice cool breeze coming off that river. And it's just sitting there at the moment with its green case with little white dots on Oh, there it goes. Oh, it's gone. That's starting to get steeper. And I'm crossing the stream again now. And we're going to start climbing. And hopefully soon, we may just be getting into upland summer mayfly territory. Lovely gravelly pool there I'm looking at now. Again, so much in miniature, just a few feet wide. But I bet you that's 18 inches deep, which is, in this stream, is quite depth. Oh, look, right in the middle of the path, peppered moth. 
that is a classic in evolutionary study because it was that that so changed colour with the industrial smoke at the time and is now going back to its previous form as the industrial smog clears or has cleared how appropriate is that given the history of these moorlands and the degradation from the nearby towns which from the pollution and the industrial revolution see a nice pristine peppered moth it could have almost been put on for show now here we are at a crossing that I estimate to be ooh, ooh. that was I'll put that about three quarters of a bound actually which is big river stuff here this stuff A million miles off the top now. So I've chosen to sit down in a lovely spot because it's thinned out a lot of the day trippers now and it's got quite awkward walking. So I'm sitting next to the stream and you can probably hear there's a lovely little fall of water and it's tumbling down some stones that are covered in moss and because they're getting wet like this they're absolutely luxuriant green. It looks it looks stunning. And there's a small pool beneath it with lots of stone that look ideal stonefly territory. It's a very good little stream for stoneflies up here, even though I'm looking for the summer mayfly today. It's very good. I might have a little rummage around for a stonefly in a minute as well. And I can see what looks like underneath the moss and the grass overhang of this fall. And the whole scene is just so refreshing on a hot day like today. It really is. It's like... It's like the visual equivalent of having a cold flannel placed on your forehead. It's absolutely gorgeous. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you listen to this for a few minutes while I have a cheese and pickle sandwich and a mug of coffee. amazing thing because I'm sitting here now just eating my cheese and pickle sandwich I've just seen a lizard just a few feet away from me and it just scurried into the into the cover onto the uh, windbreeze out it must have been basking in the sun and then as soon as I moved my head it saw me it was so secretive and it had gone and that's the first time I've seen a lizard up here and it's because I'm sitting still it's amazing and I've got a stonefly landed now just on the palm of the hand. So I've just seen a lizard, I've got a stonefly, it's, it's a loop tree, it's one of the needleflies on the palm of my hand. And it just shows that if you want to see wildlife, the thing to do is just to, it's not so much where you go, it's just to sit very, very still and wait and see what happens.
Well, I've reached a spot now where the clough is little more than a trickle. So I'm probably roundabout at the spot where Benny Rothman and his trespassing mates all those years ago, back in 1932, branched off the clough and scrambled up the side towards the summit of Kinder, towards the plateau. And there they met a line of gamekeepers from the Duke of Devonshire's estate. And then there was the ensuing scuffle that resulted in the injuries and ultimately Benny Rothman's conviction and four months spent in jail. But it was a small scuffle, inconsequential in many ways, against young men, the sort of thing that happens probably every Friday night in most of our towns and cities. And yet that has so gone down in history as being a real moment in working-class history and the access rights that we now enjoy today. And it was a couple of weeks ago, I was looking for stonefly, actually, on this on this brook, and I was checking the um, the heather beside the, the, the brook, and, and I turned around and winding up the path, I could see what I can only describe as a battalion, and it was uh, turned out to be a group of, I don't know, 15, 20 young communists carrying banners and very colourful they looked as well. And I got talking to one of them and they were celebrating the the um, an anniversary of the, of the trespass but of course it was slightly late because uh, it was lockdown restrictions and it was the earliest that they could get up due to that. And I was talking to him and he was telling me that his granddad used to work with Benny Rothman um, and so he had that connection going back. He lived local as well. His own dad was a volunteer with the National Trust and now planting trees on the sides of Kinder. So there's this incredible synchronicity and it's where the past, you know, it, it, it's not behind us. It's like it clings on with elastic fingers and, and it's still having its its effect on us today. I mean, I'm so sure that the, the new trespassers of the Book of Trespass and the campaign to open up the rivers would see themselves in that same lineage as a continuation of that same Benny Rothman tradition. And they would no doubt see the angling clubs and river keepers as that line of gamekeepers and themselves as that the working class trying to breach it. And uh, maybe they're right, who knows? Maybe. Right, this looks just about perfect. And I'm trying to find a spot that's that's perfect for the uh, the upland summer mayfly nymphs. But it's also perfect for me in the sense that it's far enough away from the public path that people aren't going to be tripping over me. But this looks a lovely spot. It's uh, very stony. The, the uh, I'd put it at about a bound wide here, but very shallow. Um, but deeper and deeper little pockets um, and a nice flow to it. I'll certainly find some stonefly if I don't find the upland summer mayfly. But here's hoping. So I'm now going to get out my incredibly sophisticated 
entomological hunting kit. Okay, it's time for the big reveal. My highly sophisticated entomology collection kit consists of a small plastic trowel, uh, a little aquarium net, the sort you use for indoor fish tanks, and a small plastic tea strainer, and two plastic cartons, from the, one from the Chinese takeaway and one from the Indian, which I think had hot sauce in it, pretty nice it was as well. It's a funny thing, I mean, people talk about single-use plastics, don't they? But, and they are very wasteful, but they're only single-use if you only use them once. Okay, so I've just taken my sample and I've just put it down into my... Ooh! <laughs> into the Sorry, I'm just looking now. That was the first sample, just a very quick one. But I've got a feeling, surely not. <laughs> I think it is. I'll have to get a lens on that in a minute. But I wanted to tell you this first because this kink sampling is. Oh, there's little stoneflies in there, look. Oh, it's absolutely jumping. It is jumping. That is brilliant. I need to tell you this. I'm looking down in my tray at the moment. I've emptied my small aquarium net after doing a little sample with a plastic trowel into the tray. So we've got a bit of water in the tray and the gravel has uh, settled down to the bottom. And it's reasonably clear uh, because there's not too much silt up here. Oh gosh, there's some interesting stuff. And I love doing kick sampling. I really love it the first time that I did it took me right back I used to be a photographer uh, back in the day and we still use chemicals and I'll never forget the first time I, I developed a print so you're in the dark room and developed a film and you put it through all this chemical process and then suddenly out of absolutely nothing an image emerges and Oh, it struck me as magic. It struck me as kind of alchemy. And even though it was actually that, I was only very young at the time, but it was that that got me into chemistry. And I later learned it was it was a redox reaction and halide chemistry, but it never changed. It never lost its magic. And I feel like that, exactly the same when I'm kick sampling, because you'll put some gravel into a tray. It doesn't matter whether you're doing it on this scale, a miniature scale like this, or the bigger scale of a river. And you will tip it out and suddenly it just looks inert it looks like there's just gravel there but then you keep watching and suddenly gravel starts to move and things start to crawl out of it and that's exactly what I'm watching now and this is full of stonefly the mayflies are beautiful creatures I know it, it may sound odd I'm talking about insects being beautiful I'm not trying to be smart I promise you that they really are when you get that lens I tell you that 10 times lens I was saying for you to get when you get that on it you will see how beautiful they are when you look close. And they remind me, when I was very, very small, uh, I think it was my mum bought me um, Tolkien's The Hobbit. And I, I can remember the cover of it, I can picture it in my mind's eye, and I don't know what it was, it was some fantastical creature uh, that had been dreamed up for the front cover. But the artwork has always left an impression with me. And it's what mayflies remind me of for some reason. Because they are very, very beautiful, certainly when they're in the 
the adult form, and they, these are the nymphs, and they live most of their lives as nymph in the water. I need to have a proper look at these. Okay, on further examination, that upland summer mayfly turned out to be an imposter. When I got the little hand lens on it, one of the telltale signs, it, it, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't the species I was looking for. So, I'm not going to obsess on this, but I've moved downstream a little bit and I'm going to have another go that looks a bit more of a silty spot, which I think it might be a little bit more likely. And I'll have a look here. That is one wind that's getting up. <laughs> I'm just scraping the gravel now with a little plastic towel with the aquarium not just downstream of it to catch what comes out. And it's worth bearing in mind that this is minimally invasive. Usually on a bigger stream we kick sample. But I'd never do that on a small stream like this, or not with that stream that we Now I've put that sample in the tray and it's certainly more it's a bit more silty than the one I did further up, so I'm watching it now just to see what develops. This little prod and stir. Ah, it's starting to come out now. That's uh, this is full of stonefly. Which is brilliant, of course, but it's not what I'm looking for. I think that's uh, Memory Day, if uh, I'm not much mistaken. And there's loads of the. Uh, I think they're Phanomura uh, sulcicollis, I believe they're called, or something along those lines. I always call them the bedhead stonefly, because they're tiny little nymphs, but they larvae. But they, they, the bits of silt and rivers stick to them, and they always go around looking really scruffy, like they just got up in the morning, so I call them the bedhead stonefly. Yeah, but I think they're more correctly called them Phanomura sulcicollis, or something along those lines. Uh, you probably can't hear any of this because of the wind. Lots of stonefly. What's that? Where's my spoon? What's that? What's that? That looks, that looks more like one. I think it's Chloropelidae. But I'd have to have a proper look. I wouldn't swear to that. I've not got my proper kit with me. Lowers a caddis, this one. Definitely a different sample, this bit lower down where there's more silt and detritus in the in the riverbed rather than just stony. I don't think I'm gonna be looking, like I say, I'm not gonna obsess on it, otherwise I'll spend the rest of the day doing this and I'm not really equipped for it. You got the idea. You know there's stuff living in here. And you know it's absolutely wonderful.
It's annoying because I have found that up on summer mayfly, not in this particular stream, but around about this altitude in different stream in kinder. So I would expect to find it in here, but I'm not really equipped for it today. Nope, never mind. Cool, cool. I don't. Wow. Loads of caddis. Loads in this. Right, okay, there we go. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this walk up William Clough with me. Um, and as I say, it's a work in progress in terms of the restoration of this moorland, but I can't do uh, any kind of a podcast on this without giving Moors for the Future partnership a mention for the brilliant work that they've done over the last 20 years in restoring these moors. And the boglands, if we went up on the top, we'd see the uh, peat bogs that, that are just where... It just used to be bare peat before. And I remember as a small child, I was being, when I wasn't looking at the covers of Hobbit's uh, Tolkien book, I was being dragged over these moors walking with my parents, and I remember them being an absolute quagmire. And the difference is incredible, and just goes to show how quickly nature can recover it if we give it the chance, but we've got to give it the chance. And that's what's going on here. It's a work in progress. But what landscape on our tiny little crowded island isn't influenced by humans in some form or another. So it's all a work in progress. Uh, it's up for us to make it better. And within my lifetime, I will come back here on William Clough and I will see far greater biodiversity than I see today. I am absolutely certain of that. And yet I see more today than I would have done 20 years ago. We're travelling in the right direction with these moors, I think. Okay, so with that, I'm going to bid you a fond farewell from this Country File podcast, and I really hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Andrew, for that lovely adventure up a Peak District stream, and it was great to get to that part of the world so thank you and for the wonderful watery sounds um it was it felt so refreshing particularly as it was a hot day and it's been so hot lately we're now in june we're all we're past spring really we're getting into summer um so it was lovely to have a little taste of the aquatic life of a little stream in the peak district i would love to talk about it with my podcast friends but i'm on my own this time because they are off doing other exciting things. So I'm here on my own with just a lazy blackbird singing outside my window, which I don't know if you can pick that up. Talking of bird songs, around about nine and a half minutes in, Andrew hears a cuckoo. But did you hear another bird start singing around that time? It's worth having another listen. It was a curlew. And at the time, I don't think Andrew picked it up. So we've been dying to record a curlew this series. You might recall in episode one of the series, or if you haven't listened to it, it's well worth a listen. Our own Annabelle Ross goes out with curlew expert Mary Colwell. The express purpose of finding curlews on the Somerset levels, and apart from very faintly in the distance, we don't really hear them. So Andrew's inadvertently managed to capture a curlew. And I mean, the curlew's plight is so, I mean, it's, I think it is the highest priority bird conservation story at the moment, the curlew because it's declining so fast. 
I think we've lost half the breeding population in the last 25 years, which is shocking. So for a little taste of curly, nine and a half minutes in. So that's episode 10 of our series. And we were going to do 12 episodes, but we've had so we've recorded so many good little stories that we're going to extend the season by two or three more. We're going to see how we go. And my podcasting will be back to discuss those episodes and to talk through some of our sounds of the week from you, the listeners, and also any comments and reviews and our general chit chat about wildlife and nature. In the meantime, please do contact me, Fergus Collins. I edit Country Fire magazine and I'm also the host of this podcast. Please do send me your thoughts about the podcast. I always love to hear what you think. I should mention now that our next season, when this one finishes, we'll have a little summer break and then we'll be back midsummer to autumn with a season called History and Mystery. We'll still be capturing beautiful sounds of nature and going to lovely landscapes. But we'll be looking at stories, historical tales, supernatural stories, ghost stories even, from the British countryside that we can share with you. And we think that's going to be quite fun. So that's something really to look forward to. And if you can recommend any locations or stories, do let me know. You can contact me at editor at countryfile.com. But just to say lastly, a big thank you to Andrew Griffiths again for that lovely recording. And join us again next week, where we'll be out and about in the natural world again. So goodbye from me. Bye-bye.